Welcome to the Bigfoot Terror in the Woods Sightings and Encounters podcast. I'm your host, W.J. Sheehan. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this, the inaugural podcast of Bigfoot Terror in the Woods Sightings and Encounters. Yes, that's right, my friends, podcast number one of many, many, many more to come. I'm your host, W.J. Sheehan, author of the series of books which bears the same name as the podcast. And in a moment, I'll be introducing you to my co-host, who will be with you and I for as long as we have breath to continue. But before I get to his introduction, allow me to say a little bit about myself, as well as plans for the show. Many of you already know me from either reading my books or having heard me on various radio and podcast interviews. And yet, there are 7 billion people on this planet, most of which have never heard the term cryptid and know little or nothing about our favorite cryptid, the Bigfoot. And so, in light of that fact, our podcast is going to be somewhat all-inclusive, And we are asking you, our listeners, to get as involved as involved can be. We want you to be an integral part of the show, and I will tell you how in a moment. The show is going to be presented in three distinct segments, with the first being cryptids in the news and in history, during which my co-host, who is an extremely astute world traveler and who has actually turned out to be my global beat reporter, will be presenting to you and I cryptid findings both in the present day and in history, inclusive of everything from sea monster reports, bizarre animal findings, and of course our favorites being Bigfoot, Dogman, Chupacabra, and the like. We will also be delving into the origins of many of these beings, in an effort to bring people up to speed about what it is we are all talking about. In segment two, I will personally be reading accounts from my various books, followed by a rigorous discussion of the facts as they pertain to these sightings, encounters, and evidential findings, in the hope of bringing to light the many facets of the Sasquatch creature in North America. And finally, segment three, will be listener mail, during which we are encouraging you to write in with both questions, comments, and or findings, which we will discuss on the podcast. Our email is bigfoottera at optimum.net, bigfoottera at optimum.net. And by the way, if you have had an encounter or believe you have found evidence of the existence of Bigfoot, I will ask you to include your phone number, and I will personally call you back to discuss your findings. Who knows, we may use them on the show, and perhaps you may even find them in one of my next volumes. By the way, if you enjoy my readings, all of my books are available in paperback and ebook formats at www.bybigfootbooks.com. Just click on any of the books and the link will take you where you want to go. And without any further ado, my co-host and I came together under some unlikely circumstances. He and I, leading two very different lives, 
and having never discussed what I am, about, am I, I am about to say about him, I believe his interest was sparked in the reading of my accounts and the hearing of many of the interviews which I have done to date. He's a well-educated and savvy businessman, and yet a relative novice to the field of Bigfoot, and I am greatly looking forward to his fresh and insightful opinions in regards to Bigfoot and all things cryptid. And so, without any further ado, may I introduce you to none other than my co-host and my blood brother, Kevin Sheehan. Kevin, how you doing today? I'm doing great, Bill. Thanks for the kind introduction. <laughs> it's awesome. You know, uh, you know, I'm. I know the audience is going to be interested in knowing why, because always everybody always asks me the same question. But how did you actually get interested in Bigfoot? Yeah, so I was thinking about that, and it goes all the way back into the 70s, where I remember, I don't know if you recall, but close to our house where we grew up, there used to be a movie theater that would show, uh, like, dollar movies on the weekends. And uh, they would have, you know, sometimes Disney movies and things like that. But uh, I remember going one Saturday, and they had uh, a documentary on uh, uh, the search for Bigfoot. You know, it's one of the early documentary films. And I remember sitting there seeing it. And, of course, they went through the original Patterson-Gimlin footage uh, from the 60s and spent, you know, 90 minutes or so on the investigation of Bigfoot. And I hadn't heard of it before, you know, as a, as a kid growing up. I never heard of it as a kid and, and uh, was fascinated by it. And then I remember seeing other things showing up on television later on like if you remember the old uh, In Search Of television show where they would have different topics they'd look into and uh, having uh, Leonard Nimoy do his In Search Of Bigfoot, you know, and just <laughs> <laughs> big mystery. So Yeah, yeah, I remember him distinctly. But I'm a little jealous now because we lived in the same house in the same neighborhood. How is it I didn't see the movie? <laughs> <laughs> you know, you were older than me, so you didn't come out with me to the dollar movies on the matinee on Saturday. <laughs> you missed oh, out. That, it turns out you missed out. <laughs> yeah, that's too funny. But I do remember uh, the Leonard Nimoy in search of, you know, and of course, Leonard being Spock, you know, he had that way about him or that look. Even when he wasn't Spock, we were still thinking of him as being Spock, you know. Yeah, that's a tough character to shake. Yeah. <laughs> he was locked in for life after he did that role. Absolutely. Well, that's that's really interesting. But now, so now obviously we're many, many years later in our lives. And what is your opinion about this creature? What do you think's going on out here? Well, like you said in the introduction, I, I travel a great deal. And uh, I'm always amazed, you know, with the millions of miles I've flown across the country. When you look down from the airplane flying across North America and you just have these vast areas, you know, for hours you're flying and you don't even see a road below you. So, you know, it's, it's really not hard to believe at all that there are creatures out there on the land that, you know, we don't encounter on a day-to-day -day basis because... We're really, for the most part, hanging around in cities or, uh, you know, in fairly, fairly populated areas. Yeah. And, you know, when you look at the satellite pictures of the Earth at night, 
And of course, the whole Earth is not covered under darkness at any one time. But at any given point, when a satellite is passing over the darkness, and you look at the areas that have any kind of illumination versus the open waters and the amount of, uh, of uh, area that is unlit or uninhabited, it is real easy to buy into the fact that there is a lot of animals out there or are a lot of animals out there and other things, who knows what, that you and I will never come in contact with. And I don't care who you are, uh, what your degree is, uh, what your passion is, uh, the odds of you seeing something like a Bigfoot creature are between slim and none. Absolutely. I mean, look, look at it this way. I've done a lot of hiking in rural places, and I've never run into a bear. I, you know, I've seen evidence of bears. I've been in places where grizzlies are abundant. You know, when I lived out in eastern Washington and would hike up in the mountains of northern Idaho, uh, very rural places, but I never ran into a bear. I mean, I'm thankful I didn't run into a bear, but they're certainly out there all over the place. Yeah, I just, uh, I'm just completing uh, book seven. And in book seven, I have an account where this hunter was out. And it just so happened that this day was his lucky day as far as seeing a Bigfoot. But he had commented that there was scat everywhere in the area he was hiking up until the point where he had this sighting. And yet with the scat everywhere he hadn't seen a bear in like several days out in the woods right, right. so here, here are these piles of scat no bear could be seen anywhere and suddenly he has this encounter of a lifetime uh with the bigfoot creature so it's like winning the lottery uh people say that uh you know, if there's so many of them, well, why aren't more people seeing them? Well, the fact is that there are tons of people seeing them. Uh, and those that are brave enough or, or willing to come forth and, and make it known, uh, other than the people who are truly interested, they suffer a lot of ridicule. I mean, this is not necessarily you want to do for career, something you want to do for career advancement. <laughs> uh, but, you know, if you, I've always said that. When people feel they're comfortable with you, they'll speak to you. And uh, when it comes to Bigfoot, uh, I've found that people will talk to me because they're comfortable in that I believe in the creature and it's okay to talk to me. Sure. Makes perfect sense. You, you, yeah. bring, you bring it out of them. Yeah, well, you know, I, I gave the example many times of my neighbor Tom and his UFO uh, sharing his UFO sighting with me. Uh, which I won't get into today, but it only happened when we were sitting on the front steps uh, talking about my Bigfoot books. And when I opened the door about being a believer in Bigfoot, he just popped right out with this uh, uh, policeman sighting of a Bigfoot. He was a retired cop, and when he was on the job, excuse me, his sighting of a UFO, he was a retired cop, and when he was on the job, he and a rookie in the car saw a UFO, and they chased it. Hmm. So it's pretty wild. Yeah. Well, now, uh, I know you probably got something uh, lined up for us tonight in uh, a segment on cryptids uh, in the news and in history. 
and I'm kind of chomping at the bit uh, to see what you bring into the table. So why don't you uh, why don't you lay on us whatever you brought? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, tonight, encrypted in the news or in history, um, we're going to talk about something that happened pretty recently. So uh, this was picked up in a lot of uh, national news online. Uh, folks like the New York Post. Uh, um, and that is the account that was, I think, originally written by Carrie Kenner of the da Daily Herald of Utah Valley on January 24th of this year, 2019. And uh, she wrote an account that was based on the sighting that a gentleman by the name of Austin Craig had on January 2nd of this year. So not too long ago, a few months ago. And Austin and his, uh, his friends and family, uh, they were out in the daytime in a neighborhood in uh, Provo, Utah, and they were looking uh, eastward into the mountains above uh, Provo, and they had a camera with them, probably a mobile phone, I'm not sure, and they sighted uh, Bigfoot up on the side of the mountain. And they have several minutes of very clear footage where they zoom in, on uh, the creature, you know, as close as they can get with the zoom on the video. He's probably a mile or two away. And then they also zoom out to continue to give perspective and commentary, again, in broad daylight on this creature up on the mountainside. Now, what's really interesting is that happened on January 2nd. And then on and uh, um, it, was, uh, it was published on uh, uh, January 4th. And then a couple of gentlemen from the Rocky Mountain Sasquatch Association went back to the site again during the daytime, same kind of weather, nice clear day when Craig was there, when Austin Craig was there. And they tried to recreate the angle of where Austin Craig shot the video. And then one of them actually hiked up onto the mountainside while one stayed down below where Austin Craig was originally filming. And uh, they looked for evidence of Bigfoot up on the mountainside. Now, what I thought was really interesting, so the footage is fantastic, and uh, you can go out there and, and find uh, the story uh, by Carrie Kenner, and the original footage, and then the footage from the Rocky Mountain Sasquatch Association online. Um, and what was amazing is how harsh the mountainside was when this gentleman went to hike up it to look for Bigfoot. Because you know how you look at a mountainside from a mile away and it just looks like a gentle sloping hill. However, when he went there to climb it, of course it's covered in snow. It, some of it is rocks and brush and that. And he's climbing up. You can hear him breathing very heavily uh, as he's going up and he's giving some commentary. It takes him probably 15 minutes to get up anywhere onto the hillside. At one point he sees something moving in the bushes and he zooms in on it with his video camera it's actually a big deer laying on its side in the snow wow. uh yeah i mean really cool and then he goes up further and he's talking to his friend on the ground to try and uh position himself exactly where the creature was sighted in the original film and sure enough he starts looking around on the ground and first off he sees some huge footprints in the snow uh, you know, that he measures at about 17 inches long. You know, when he puts his boot, I think he said it was a size eight next to these giant footprints. 
And indeed, you know, they are bigger than any footprint I've ever seen. Mm -hmm. um, and then uh, uh, he also gets some pictures taken of him from his friend's vantage point and then compares them in size to the original Bigfoot sighting. And you also get a feel for how large uh, the creature was from that distance in a similar location on the mountainside. Wow, that's just incredible. And I looked at the video, you know, uh, uh, you had sent that over to me. And, uh, of course, the naysayers, which really I don't give a toot about, uh, they would say, why was the guy so shaky? You know, like he kept panning the camera to the houses, back to the hillside, zooming in, backing out, going over there, uh, back to the houses. And a lot of the naysayers would say, you know, why can't he hold the camera still? Why can't we just get more pictures of the Bigfoot itself and stop this uh, futzing around with the camera? But, you know, everybody's not the same when it comes to a situational type of thing. Uh, apparently, this guy, young or old, decided this was the best way of doing it in the moment. Uh, and that's what we're left with. But what really excites me is the follow-up when somebody's going out into this uh, tundra leading up the hillside, and you can see in the video, it's really sparse, and there's like this twiggy bramble all over the place. And here this guy goes back out and is like uh, trudging up this hillside, breathing heavily, whereas the creature just walks around out there like it's nothing. Exactly. I mean, these, these things are so powerful and so off the charts strong that we have no comprehension of how they live, what they do, the speed they can travel, where they may sleep. All we could do is stand back in wonderment and say, wow, what is this thing? No, you're exactly right. And like I pulled up the map uh, to see, you know, what, what was to the east of Provo and these mountains, and there's really nothing there for miles and miles and miles, you know, very rural country. Uh, and of course, Utah itself is a pretty rural place in general. And uh, when you look at the map east of Provo, looking east of Provo, there's not much out there. Wow. I mean, that's just incredible. So it's you incredible. Know, and, and, you know, like you said, okay, the footage is shaky. You can clearly see the creature out there on the hillside, though. And I know, like, if we were holding a camera, shooting the video, and all of a sudden you saw one of these creatures, I think I'd be a little shaky, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no doubt about it. You know, every, everybody likes to think they're Tarzan swinging from a vine with a knife in his teeth. But I guarantee you, if one of these critters was bearing down on you, your legs and feet would be moving like Popeye on a can of spinach to get out of Dodge. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I wouldn't be able to find the record button on the phone. <laughs> there is no doubt about it. You know, I was out in the backyard today, and uh, I turned my head to the left, and there's a hawk sitting on top of my uh, uh, my little uh, shed, uh, tearing into some little critter that it just captured in the yard, and it's sitting there picking at it and ripping the flesh out. And I was standing there, and for some reason, I got to thinking about the birds and where they nest. And, you know, this, this time of year, at least where I live, 
everything, all the foliage is gone. So you're seeing the bare twigs on the trees. And yet, there aren't many nests visible at all. And I got to thinking uh, that I believe that these creatures, like the birds, may not necessarily nest. They may be lying down in the woods like the deer do in, my, in the woods behind my house just to take a rest. They don't have a cabin to go into or a cave. When they get tired, they're out in the snow, the rain, and they just lay down in the woods and, and, and uh, nod out for a while. So I don't necessarily think that a Bigfoot has to have a huge burrow or uh, some type of structure to uh, live in. Although I have uh, in my story, The Fifth Bullet, uh, that guy ran across what he described as an, uh, a Quonset hut made out of sticks. And uh, if you read the story, and someday, someday in the future, I'm sure we'll do it again, uh, this thing seemed to be none too happy about his finding his uh, dwelling, if you catch my drift. <laughs> so uh, that's really interesting. And, you know, when you think about, you look at a barren landscape, like the area where that uh, fella took the picture of this, uh, this Bigfoot, and the first thing you would say, some, some people may say, would be, what are they going to eat over there? But then we just talked about how when the fellow was doing the follow-up, <laughs> he, he spooks a deer laying in the bramble that jumps up. Oh, yeah. And, and by the way, when you look at the footage, all of you out there, you, you'll see there's deer tracks all over the place and rabbit tracks all over the place up on this mountainside near the Bigfoot tracks. So, you know, definitely an abundance of wildlife. Right. And, I, and I've always taken the stand that uh, these creatures are opportunistic. Uh, they will take advantage of anything and everything that's in their domain uh, as a food source. If they're walking through an orchard seasonally, they'll pick some fruit. If they're by a river, maybe they'll try to snatch some type of mollusks or uh, a fish I have a number of accounts where these things were trying to slap or grab a fish, really having a tough time of it, uh, just like we would. I mean, if you tried to grab or stomp on a trout in a stream, I mean, good luck with that. Yeah, not the ideal way to catch one. Yeah, you know. I mean, I would lend the guy my fishing pole, but I don't know if he'd be able to use it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, so so that's my account, Bill, for the week. Um, very interesting. Lots of footage out there that I encourage everyone to take a look at. And then, uh, you know, as we transition into into the rest of our podcast, you know, what, what do you have as an account that you want to share with the audience this week? Well, you know, uh, I mentioned to you earlier before we uh, came on the air, so to speak, and I literally have hundreds of accounts that we'll be getting into and, and more on the way. I just finished seven and I'm starting volume eight. Uh, probably this week. But I had to go back. Uh, now, some of the people who are listening uh, may have heard this account before, uh, but it's one of those things that just gets onto your skin. Uh, it's so intense and so unbelievable that it bears repetition. And so tonight I decided I was kind of co going to come out of the gate on uh, this podcast 
and do somewhat of a repeat of a story I entitled The Fight. And so uh, here we go. This story came to me by way of Brian Mahoney from Fargo, North Dakota. Here is Brian's tale as it was conveyed to me. I had long been tired of seeing the shows on TV with people banging on trees and logs and never seeing anything. When I ran across your query and decided to take you where the action is, in 1967, my dad and three other men in the neighborhood took me and four other boys on a trip up to Ontario to fish muskies. We found ourselves landing at Perot Falls Airport, where we met up with a couple of float planes that ferried us up to a place near Ear Falls. My only memory was that we had rented a pretty big cabin for the week, with plenty of room for all of us to rough it. Heck, we didn't care at the time if we slept in the woods. We were up in the sticks, landing on water in a seaplane, and we were going to catch muskies. The dads had hired a guide whose name was Lars, and we had three boats for the group. The boats were pretty big, something like 18 or 20 feet, and they had plenty of power to get us around in a hurry. Several days into the trip, we had been into the fish hot and heavy every day, just as advertised. We were landing muskies in the range of 28 to 36 inches on a regular basis and having a ball. The fight of these fish pound for pound is outrageous if you've never caught them. Most of the shoreline that we were fishing had forests coming right down to the water's edge, but periodically there was an area of bank with no trees that was visible along the shore. We had been fishing every day, facing the shore and pretty close to it for the most part. It must have been about 4 p.m., when we heard a loud and long roar coming out from in the woods. We all looked at each other and asked Lars, what the hell is that? He said that it sounded like a large grizzly bear. It was only two minutes after we heard the first roar that another one sounded off coming from the opposite direction in the woods. There must be either two of them or one very fast runner. Over the next 15 minutes or so, as we sat fishing the bank, we heard several more roars. It seemed like they were being made back and forth by two different bears. At least, that's what we thought at the time. Now, before I continue, I have to set you up visually for what was about to happen. We were sitting in three boats, spaced maybe 150 feet apart. All of these boats were about 100 feet from the shore, facing one of these slopes on the bank that I told you about. The water we were fishing was approximately six feet deep, and the bottom was covered with grasses that these muskies hung around in. We were all looking at each other from boat to boat as we listened to these roars, which sounded like they were getting closer. I don't know why, but I felt like a fuse had been lit, and a bomb was about to explode and explode it did. Suddenly, the woods directly in front of us erupted in what I can only describe as a lion fight. The volume and intensity of the roaring was so loud that it hurt my ears. I couldn't see what was making the noise yet. 
I looked at the other boats to my right, and Lars was already waving to start the motors. As we started the engines, we were now all motoring further away from the shoreline, but everyone was still looking back at the trees. The roars almost drowned out the sound of our engines at times. We switched into neutral. All of the boats were now about 300 feet from the shore facing the woods. It was so intense that I was actually trembling. I could now make out two large dark figures engaging in an apparent battle for supremacy just inside the tree line. The roaring was unrelenting as the struggle ensued within the trees. At one point, I almost felt as though I was going to faint. I really can't find the words to describe my emotions. Right at a time when I thought that things couldn't possibly get any worse, these two giant black beasts came tumbling out of the trees, rolling down the embankment, smacking and biting each other. Both of the beasts were now in the water, and every time one started to stand, the other would slap it, and they would grapple, smashing each other into the water. Each time one bit the other, the screams of pain were even louder than when they had been apart. I remember thinking that I wanted it to stop watching and listening, but I couldn't. I could tell that one of the beasts was starting to get the better of the other, and finally, with one titanic blow, the creature's body buckled to the ground, and it lay there unmoving. The victor stood leering over the other, growling ever more intensely and pounding its chest in the moment, and it reminded me of when King Kong beat the dinosaur. I thought the downed beast was dead. It lay half in the water and half out, face down and not moving. Then the other beast turned to face us and raising its head into the air, letting out what sounded like a half-roar and half-scream as it pumped its fist and flexed its upper body. It then turned to the victim and stood over it, roaring over and over again. A few moments later, it walked up the bank, roaring and screaming into the woods. Everyone in the boats was shell-shocked, and our mouths hung open. Some of the guys were holding their heads like they were losing their minds, and none of us could speak. I saw the beast that was laying in the water lift its arm and drop it like it was its last gasp. We motored away and headed back to the lodge for the evening. Now, I won't get into all of the conversation and whatnot that went on that night because there's so much more to tell you about these beasts. I had never heard a grizzly bear in my life. But when Lars said the roars had sounded like a big grizzly, something had said to me that it wasn't true. Up until that point in my life, I had never heard anything living make a sound that loud. It was as intense as a diesel train's whistle. Had it been closer, it may have broken our eardrums. And when they were fighting in front of us, some of the other guys actually had their hands to their ears. The oars that were laying on the aluminum boat seats were vibrating loudly. Another thing was the fight itself. At no time during the fight did they hit each other with a closed fist. They were slapping each other open-handed, grappling and biting. It seemed to me that the biting was used to get an advantage during what appeared to be a wrestling match of mammoth proportions. 
The fight had been so intense that I couldn't understand how either of them could withstand another second before one of them had dropped. Lars went back to the scene the next day, and the one in the water was gone, so maybe it had survived, but we will never know. When they were slapping and thrashing each other around in the water, the waves which they were creating were rocking our boats far from the shore. They were incredibly large, and when their mouths were open and roaring, in particular the one in the end that was looking at us while roaring, I could see huge white teeth, and it looked like a bowling ball could have fit in the mouth with no problem. The two of them had to be in excess of 10 feet tall and maybe 2,000 pounds. When they were slamming each other against the ground, I could feel the reverberations out on the water, and you could hear the hit. This had to be some type of animalistic fight for territory or domination of the females. It was like they were calling each other to the duel and neither was going to back down. In my opinion, these are vicious and bloodthirsty wild beasts that are not to be trifled with. But there are people walking around in the woods with no guns who must be out of their minds thinking that they're going to visit Mr. Happy of the Forest. This type of physical strength and force is something that we know nothing about and quite possibly never will. So there you have it, the fight. Wow, what a spectacular account. Yeah, just incredible. Uh, and to be there, I mean, picture you're out on this calm fishing trip on this placid lake in the middle of nowhere, reeling in fish, listening to the fire crackling when you're back at the cabin, and suddenly you're embroiled in this uh, battle of titans spilling out of the woods and into the water in front of you on the bank. Yeah. I'm, I'm guessing if you had your uh, video camera there as a witness, you'd have a hard time finding uh, the uh, play button and holding <laughs> it steady, too. <laughs> I'm just guessing. I'm just guessing. Yeah, yeah, well, no. No, you know, a real man, a real man would have stayed in close quarters and continued filming. <laughs> right. I mean, I, it's crazy, you know, but one of the things uh, now I have another account that I'm sure we'll get to someday where uh, a few ladies were hiking and saw what appeared to be either a mother or a father Bigfoot allowing what appeared to be like two siblings to grapple. Uh, the woman used the term Roman Greco wrestling. So she was on a slope with a valley dropping between them and they were facing an adjoining slope going upward on the other side. And she was watching a large creature sitting and two little guys coming at each other kind of arm grappling, holding, you know, like guys do when they wrestle, and then breaking apart. I thought that was kind of weird. Yeah, really, really interesting stuff. Interesting uh, and, and great accounts. Um, so, you know, each week, this is where we would transition into uh, listener mail. And Bill, if I could put you on the spot, can you give us that email address again where folks can uh, submit any questions they have about the show or uh, uh, cryptids or, you know, anything at all. 
Yeah. So our our email is Bigfoot Terror. So B I G F O O T T E R R O R. Bigfoot Terror at Optimum. O P T I M U M. Optimum dot net. Perfect. Perfect. So, and uh, oh yeah, I was just gonna say because we don't have any uh, listener mail this week because it's our first episode. Woohoo! Uh, <laughs> uh, maybe, maybe uh, you know, I'll, I'll ask uh, a couple of questions that that you know could could be questions that folks out in the audience would ask. Um, one of them is triggered by uh, you talking about while you were sitting on the porch or on your neighbor's porch, uh, you know, talking about cryptids, talking about our favorite cryptid, Bigfoot, and you said your neighbor gave an account of seeing a UFO. And I think, you know, a, a lot of times in these uh, accounts of seeing Bigfoot, um, there's some type of alien activity. So, you know, w what do you think is going on with that potential relationship? Well, uh, for those of you who have heard me speak on this before, and, and repetition is always the norm with Bigfoot. Uh, if you've been around this subject for a while, you're going to hear us kicking the can around a number of times about the same subject matter. And always keep in mind that there are always new people come in, uh, new people coming in that haven't heard anything that you may have heard up to this point in time. So, yeah, my opinion is that uh, the whole UFO thing uh, is of demonic origin. I believe that this is a, uh, a ploy uh, by the dark side to get people to believe that there's something else going on here other than our, quote, biblical account of the creation, uh, which is, of course, what I believe. So I think that these UFOs uh, and many of the Bigfoot accounts that involve UFOs or, or Bigfoot that don't leave footprints Bigfoot that disappear while people are watching them. Bigfoot coming out of like tubes or tunnels in the sky, appearing out of nowhere and walking across a field. I mean, this is some really strange and outlandish stuff. And of course, I'm postulating my opinion, just like many others out there have their opinion. Uh, but I believe that all of this stuff... Uh, begins in the realm of the demonic. I don't know what you think about that, that, but that's really where I stand on this thing. Yeah, well, it's definitely, it also, you know, you touch on the uh, wide range of sightings, you know, everything from the Provo, Utah account that, that I opened us up with to some of the more outlandish uh, shape-shifting accounts uh, you know, uh, Bigfoot actually changing form and disappearing and reappearing and things like that. So, you know, there, there's a broad range of accounts out there. Uh, and, you know, some, some include aliens and many don't as well. So, you know, very interesting. All the more reason for folks to stay tuned and uh, <laughs> listen, listen for yeah. more accounts and more discussion. Absolutely. So, you know, one of the things and it's, you know, it goes a little bit in contrast to what we opened up with tonight. But, you know, some folks often ask the question of why aren't these accounts and sightings uh, sometimes more newsworthy? 
you know, again, it flies in the face of what I talked about tonight, where it was all over the news. And I think, you know, what we'll talk about in the next episode, I'm not going to tell you what it is yet, also was all over the news and quite recent. So, but what do you think? You know, is there a reason why sometimes these sightings, even with video and photography, uh, just don't make uh, the front page news? Yeah, well, first of all, uh, see, now somebody would say, well, it was all over the news, just like you just said. I didn't know anything about it. None of the news networks over here in New York carried that. And uh, I had shared uh, in the past that, uh, Kev, you know, uh, my wife, Paula, is from uh, uh, South America. And sometimes we're watching the Spanish news broadcast, and they'll put anything up on the news that they think is a worthy story, uh, whether it's a chupacabra sighting, a ghost walking across a parking lot, UFOs sighted over Mexico City. I mean, they just put, put it out there and let you have at it. But I think there are papers and news outlets that will report something, but the vast majority of them don't want to touch it. And so you saw this. I don't know what news networks uh, had it, but uh, as I say, we don't get any of that stuff on the New York networks. I guarantee you that. And if you do, uh, it's usually said with a chuckle or, uh, you know, a wink and a nod like, you know, come on, people. <laughs> you think this is real? Yeah. Well, yes, yes. Some of us do think it's real. Thank you very much. Yeah, it's, it's pretty interesting, you know, in the age of 24-7 uh, news coverage, where you think you'd be looking for things to fill up the news with, and certain topics, uh, you know, don't don't seem to make the cut, even though they're they're quite interesting. Uh, and why, well, not, today, why not let the audience choose for themselves uh, whether they think it's a, a true account or a false account, like everything yeah, else well, we see? He, Here's my news broadcast today, what I remember from it. I think I saw Hillary Clinton's face about 50 times uh, as she was saying she was not going to run for president, to which I say, hallelujah, thank you for not running. Sorry, all of you Hillary fans out there, but I'd rather vote for the hairy man than Hillary Clinton. All right. Well, you know, maybe maybe we better end uh, this episode on that note. Now. All right. And so, you know, we're going to be continuing this podcast. We've got a lot of great things lined up. There's much more to come. And as we shut this down for today, I want to remind you all to remember just one thing. Always carry more gun than you think you're going to need. Sleep tight. Thank <laughs> you.